Hello and welcome to A History of Electronic Music, Part 13. Welcome to the show. My name is Paul Sheiky, and today I'm going to be getting ultra cheesy and talking about Giorgio Moroder and the electronic elements of disco. So straight on with it. Um, Hans-Jörg Moroder, or Giorgio to give him his adopted name, was born in the small town of Ortizai in the very northern part of Italy, which borders Austria which is quite significant, as it seems likely that he learnt German growing up. This would have made life much easier for him when he moved 150 miles north to Munich, which is where his music career really started. He started off playing the bass in several bands, but he really got into production, and it was in Munich in the mid-60s that he started writing and producing pop music. Here's a couple of uh, brief examples of his early 60s work. Um, this was written by Moroder and Michael Holm and performed by Michael Holm. Michael Holm and Giorgio Moroder, that was SOS Hertz in Not from 1966. And this one was written by Just Moroder, and it's called, strangely, it's called Doobie Doobie Doo. Dooby Dooby Doo from 1968, written by Maroda. Sorry about the noise at the end, it's on the original recording, I couldn't do anything about it. Um, but even from them two clips, it's obvious that Maroda's sensibilities are purely pop. However, his works didn't become popular until the release of this in 1969, which sold over a million copies. Looky, looky, looky at the way she's 
Looky Looky from 1969. So you can hear there that even back then, Moroda was fusing electronics with a light and popular sound. He continued in that vein in the early 70s, achieving a certain amount of success with a song he co-wrote with someone who was to become a long-time and important collaborator, Pete Bellot. Originally written in Italian, To Say Mio Padre, was a number one hit when translated into English and performed by the band Chicory Tip. Giorgio subsequently recorded an English version, but it wasn't as big a hit. This is Giorgio's version from 1972, Son of My Father. of my father from 1972 72 also saw the release the many credit as the first disco record the modern discotheque was born in 1953 when Regine Zilberberg connected two turntables together so there would be no breaks in the music laid down a dance floor and suspended some colored lights at a club called whiskey a go-go in Paris the disco idea developed through the 60s, and by the early 70s, the idea of a venue where non-stop dancing took place was common. Disco as a musical style grew out of funk, soul and the Motown sound, popular in American cities in the late 60s, early 70s. Although one of the key characteristics of disco music is the heavy four-to-the-floor beat, this track, which is credited as the first disco record by many, doesn't really have that. What it does have, however, is a very light, funky tune and a nice, danceable bass line. This is Manu Dibango and Soul Makosa. Mm-hmm. 
by Manu Dibango, um, credited by many as the first disco record. But what it doesn't have in it, though, is anything electronic. But before we get into the influence of synthesizers on disco, let's have a more detailed look at some of the variety of elements that can make up the disco style. Now, I was going to list the potential elements of disco, but luckily I don't have to, as this track lists them all for me. And I like it so much that I'm going to play the whole thing in its entirety. This is DIY Disco by Disco Dick. Oh, hi, guys. Uh, my name is Disco Tech Richard, uh, but you can call me Disco Dick. I'm your producer, and today we're going to make a disco hit. So everybody relax, and uh, I'll go into the control room and talk to you from there. Okay? Good luck, studio. Who is this guy? Okay, uh, can we start with the drums, please? Who's on drums? Harry. Oh, Harry. Harry, can I have the bass drum, please? Ah, uh, sure, man. Try that. Okay. Oh, uh, that's lovely, Harry, but it's the wrong beat. Can we have uh, four in the bar, please? Thank you. Oh, my God. Harry, that's terrific, but uh, it's not disco. It has to be, I'm sorry, 120 beats per minute for disco. Okay, let's try that. Can we hear the drums now? Okay, man. Try that. Okay, that's great, Harry. I'm not gonna have the hi-hat, please. Yeah, okay. I know, Harry. Can you make it faster? The guy wants it faster. That's great, Harry. That's terrific. Uh, I'm not too happy with the bass drum sound, though. Uh, no. Can we just check that bass drum? C- can you make it a bit uh, tighter? It's a bit flappy. Try this again. No, I think it's a bit too tight now. Can we take it back a little? Uh, yeah. No, um gone too flappy again. Can we have it tighter, please? Uh, you really know what you want, man. No, it's still not right. Um, take it back to the way it was originally. Hey, this guy's crazy. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's much better. Okay, now, uh, can we can we have a drum fill? Uh, the name's Harry, man. Oh, sorry, Harry. Um, can we have a, a, a drum break, please? Uh, roll around the drums. How's that? Oh, that's terrific. Okay, uh, I think now we need to hear the bass. Can we hear the bass, please? Uh, who's on bass? Uh, George, man. George. Oh, George. Thank you, George. Can we hear the bass, please? Sure, sure. How's that? Uh, no, George. Uh, hold it, George. I'm sorry. It has to be walking. I'm walking. sorry. Can you can you walk the bass, please? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, George, where are you going? Uh, George. George, hold it. Where are you going? You said to walk. 
No, George, I didn't mean for you to walk. I meant walking bass. Disco. Oh, like that? That's terrific, George. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, uh, who's on guitar, please? A guitar? Uh, Bruce, man, Bruce. Oh, Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Hi. Can we have a little guitar, please? Oh, sure, man. Okay, I'll just get it set up here. Bruce? Yeah, okay, I got my lead tied around my foot. Oh, that's beautiful, Bruce. That's, that's terrific. Okay, uh, who's on piano? Uh, Peter, man. Oh, Peter, can we have some piano now, please? Sure, sure. You want a funky? Is that okay? That's really nice and funky, Peter. Thank you. Yes, we're really getting that. <laughs> okay, uh, now we need a hook. We need a good, strong hook. Do we have anybody that can sing? Uh, who's that girl out there in the studio walking around? Uh, that's the secretary. Oh, man. uh, could, could she sing? Uh, could you ask her if she can sing, please? Hey, the guy wants to know if you can sing. Well, I, I think so. Uh, okay, can you can we put a microphone in front of that lady, please? Yeah, take a mic okay, let's try. Uh, could you sing something for me? He wants you sure. to sing. What do you want me to sing? Oh, I don't mind. Anything you like. Just do it yourself. But make sure it's Any, disco. Anything at all? Yeah, okay. anything. Uh, okay, I'll make sure it's disco. Here I go. Disco Dick and DIY Disco. So some of the elements of disco there. 
and maybe not a great track but i still find it pretty funny um so yeah some of the potential elements of a disco track uh, the notable exception being the no strings were in that because sometimes disco tracks had quite large and complex string sections but here of course we're interested in how synthesizers were used in disco and it's convenient to divide disco into two and take a look at what i'm going to call classic disco which i'll define as disco using mainly traditional instruments but with a few electronics and in this i've identified three main ways that electronics are used in classic disco for instance, they could be used as effects, such as this fake thunder in Eruption's I Can't Stand the Rain. I can't stand the rain against my window Bringing back sweet memories I can't stand the rain against my Or these fake police sirens in DD Shop Gamble's Breaking and Entering. for the funky bass line, as in Funkadelic's One Nation Under a Groove. Or Teddy Prendergrass's Only You. Synths could be used for the lead, as in the Tavares's It Only Takes a Minute, although this is more kind of a bassy lead. In a more typical way, uh, by the Crown Heights Affairs, Dreaming a Dream. Oh, 
or again with a very similar sounding synth from this truly classic disco track. Donna Summer's Love to Love You Baby, which brings us nicely back to Giorgio Moroder as he produced and co-wrote it. It was a massive hit in 1976, but I doubt many radio stations played the full version, which is nearly 17 minutes long. This kind of started a trend for very long disco tracks, with many elements broken down and rearranged throughout. But there is a specific reason why Love to Love You Baby was so long. This is an extract from David Toops's Ocean of Sound. Speaking to Giorgio Moroder in 1992, I asked him why he and his co-producer Pete Bellotte had decided to extend Love to Love You Baby into 17 minutes of orgasm theatre. He laid the blame on the coffin of the late Neil Bogart, once the notorious president of Casablanca Records. He liked the song so much he wanted to have a long version of it, claimed Moroder, and that's why I did the 17 minute one. The official story is that he's playing it at a party and people wanted to hear it over and over. I think the real one was more like the bad story. He was doing some other thing than dancing. So a revolution in music was catalyzed by a record executive's desire for his own personal sexual soundtrack. Another revolution in music came a year later when the same team worked on the album I Remember Yesterday. In an interview for Future Music magazine in 1996, Giorgio explained the idea behind the album. That was an album where we wanted to have a concept, where we had one 50s song, one 60s, one 70s, one Motown, and we wanted to have a futuristic sounding song, I Feel Love. At that time, I was a little fed up with synthesizers which I'd started to use in early 71, but the only way to get futuristic sounds was to use synthesizers. And here it is, Donna Summers, I Feel Love.
I Feel Love by Donna Summer, produced and written, uh, co-written by Georgia Moroda and Pete Bellot. I Feel Love was revolutionary in its use of electronics in a disco context, and led to the branching of disco into another subgenre, which is generally known as Eurodisco, as it took off a lot more in Europe than it did in the States. Relying heavily on synthesised sounds and having a much greater emphasis on pop melodies rather than funk or soul, many Eurodisco songs were also highly imitative of I Feel Love, and that includes the synthesizer, the supposedly original synthesizer that hasn't been heard before in DIY Disco, which you just heard. But one particular favourite that's very similar to I Feel Love, but it's also good in its own context as well, that I've discovered from doing this podcast, and I just had to play you. Uh, this is Instant Love by Sylvia Love from 1979. Instant Love by Sylvia Love, although in fact that wasn't Instant Love, that was the B-side remix Instant Dub, which allows me to talk about remixes, Um, because that's one of the key innovations of disco was the remix. In the early 70s, most disco records were just two or three minutes long, like traditional pop records, but this didn't really go down well on the dance floor, so as well as keeping records continuous by mixing songs together, some DJs also extended individual tracks by using two of the same record and playing particular instrumental sections over and again. At about the same time as DJ Cool Herc was extending the breaks in funk tracks in this way, Walter Gibbons was doing the same with disco tracks. His precise mixes that emphasise rhythm over vocals and melody were a big hit with dancers and he was soon asked to recreate a club mix in the studio. 
The result was his version of 10% by Double Exposure, which became the first commercially released 12-inch single. Here's a little bit of it. Gibbons' mix of 10% by Double Exposure. Not strictly electronic, but the way it's arranged because it's completely electronic and the invention of the remix is certainly relevant to uh, the history of electronic music. Um, sales of the 12-inch version of that record soon outstripped that of the 7-inch. Ken Kea, co-owner of Salsoul Records, explains the significance. Walter was the first DJ to show the record companies that they should be open to different versions of a song. He was pivotal. He convinced producers and other record companies to give the DJs an opportunity to remix records for the clubs. And he showed us that these records could be commercially successful. Another contender for the inventor of the remix is Tom Moulton. However, he is quick to state that he didn't do the remix, but did THE mix on records that labels felt needed more work. One thing he definitely did invent, however, by accident, was the 12-inch single. The story is essentially they wanted some test pressings or dub plates made for a mix that he'd done so DJs could try them out in clubs and he'd get a sense of how the mix worked on the dance floor. Usually these were done on 7 inches, but one time the place he had them cut had run out of 7-inch blanks, so he asked them to do it on 10-inch first and then on a 12-inch. And because the grooves could be spread out more on a 12-inch, it could be recorded louder and sounded much better. The first 12-inch cut in this way is So Much For Love by Moments Of Truth, by the way, just as a point of interest. Um, Tom is also credited with the invention of another of Disco's key features, the breakdown. And again, it kind of happened by accident, as he explains. Like I said, it started with a song called Dream World by Don Downing. And uh, I, I got an instrumental version of it, and I kind of pieced it together. 
And uh, when I took it to the company who put it out, they said, well, how would you like to try that in the studio? And I went, well, I don't really know much about that. And he said, well, it's about time you learned. And uh, go in and try to do it in the studio. And, of course, the song modulated. And the song was only like two and a half minutes to begin with. And the song modulated. In other words, it goes to another key. And so when you're trying to... Uh, you know, like go go through the good part of the song, and I went through the modulation. Then I tried to go back to the beginning of the song, and of course, the song dropped down in the key, and it sounded terrible. It sounded like a downer. So I said, "No, no, we can't do that." So I tried to eliminate all the things that were musical, and so by doing that, you know, I took out the guitars, the piano, the strings, the horns the background, everything, and then I realized, well, what have I got left? I got the drums, I got the conga, and a tambourine. So I said, well, I guess I got to raise those and tr try to make it sound like a, a, a breakdown of sorts. But the only reason I did that was just so I could get to, you know, use the first part of the song again. And, you know, people to this day keep saying to me, oh, the song modulates twice. And, of course, I say, no, it doesn't. It only modulates once. But you think it modulates again only because you don't hear the musical instruments. Tom Moulton talking about the invention of the disco break and their serendipity as an innovative force in music. And there's a lot more details of that interview if you want to read more about um not, not that particular interview, but if you want to read a good interview with Tom Moulton where he talks in very great detail about um, his work in the 70s, that's available on disco-disco.com, and I'd recommend that. There's lots of good interviews on that site. Um, but let's now hear an example of his work. This is actually from 1977, and I chose it really because it has quite a few electronic elements. This is one of his mixes of the ORS, or which stands for Orlando Reva Sound, and this is Moon Boots.
Moon Boots by ORS from 1977. That same year, Moroda delved deeper into electronica than ever before, with the release of the album From Here to Eternity. This is the title track. From here to eternity to eternity from the album of the same name from 1977 and also quite a good example of a breakdown and build up there in an electronic sense um, by this point Moroda's music was attracting attention from beyond the disco community and when film director alan parker heard i feel love he asked Moroda to score his next film the film was midnight express and the soundtrack won Moroda a best original score oscar in 1978 and also produced a moderate chart hit with this track.
Chase from the 1978 film Midnight Express. The success of the Midnight Express soundtrack meant that film composing offers came flooding in. Giorgio, the musical genius of Midnight Express, gets ready to score again with Battlestar Galactica. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the 70s sci-fi series Battlestar Galactica, but the music in it by Stu Phillips is quite solemn and serious. So I just couldn't help but see what Giorgio's music would be like in its place. There are those who believe that life here began out there, far across the universe, with tribes of humans who may have been the forefathers of the Egyptians, or the Toltecs, or the Mayans. Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who even now fight to survive somewhere beyond the heavens. Yeah, I think Giorgio should definitely have scored Battlestar Galactica. That was apparently from a disco version of Battlestar Galactica. And it sort of fits in quite well with that period because science fiction actually became quite a common theme in disco tracks. And to the extent that it even led to its own subgenre called space disco. With the release of Star Wars in 1975, sci-fi was suddenly hugely popular, as was disco at this time. Add to that the fact that synthesised sounds had always been associated with sci-fi, it was quite obvious that it would all come together at some point. I've only really got time to play one track from this genre, but one particular pioneer of this style um, stands out, and his name is uh, Didier Marouani, who formed the band Space in 1977 and did tunes like this one.
That was Magic Fly by Space from 1977, part of the space disco genre. And I'm sorry I couldn't play any more of that, but I am running low in time and I've still got lots to get in, such as Giorgio Moroder's search for a limit to computerised electronic music. Giorgio Moroder. If there's a limit to computerised electronic music, he hasn't found it yet. But he's looking and looking in places where only his special kind of imagination can take him. Reporting from a recording studio that even NASA can't match, I'm Chuck Ashman. Correct me if I'm wrong, but NASA don't actually build recording studios. But anyway, that clip was from about 1979, when Moroder was working on E equals MC squared, which was touted as the world's first electronic live-to-digital album. However, I'm not actually sure what that means in practice, and Giorgio's statements about it don't make the picture that much clearer. It's music programmed as bursts of energy, coded numerically to microcomputers, and recorded via the digital process. Then we edited by computer, and the energy was once again reproduced as music, but with an immense reduction in noise and distortion. It's very close to pure sound. Whatever it meant in practice, it's perhaps more interesting that Giorgio co-produced the album with future collaborator and Axel F author Harold Faltermeyer, as this clip attests. This album was produced by equals MC squared by Giorgio Moroder. I particularly like the fact that the tea and coffee lady gets a mention <laughs> on the album. Um, that's from 1979. At this time, disco music was facing a backlash from the American music press and radio, and commentators were predicting the death of disco. It's true that classic disco is in decline, but a new form was developing in Europe that was faster and had predominantly electronic elements. It was dubbed High Energy, but a look at that will have to wait for a future episode. I haven't got time to look at it in detail here. However, this track, uh, which was perhaps the swan song of disco, as it was the last big disco hit, kind of sits nicely between the old style and the new. Um, from 1980, this is Funky Town. 
Funky Town by Lips Inc. A massive number one hit in several countries in 1980. And perhaps listening to that now, was it really disco? I mean, there's definitely disco elements there, but some of it was that disco, was it just pop? But anyway, although disco is dying, Giorgio wasn't. And through the 80s, he continued to get plenty of job offers, including the soundtracks to Flashdance and some songs from Top Gun, including the award-winning Take My Breath Away, for which he wrote the music. However, my favourite of his soundtracks from the 80s, both in terms of the film and in terms of the music, is Scarface. This is Tony's theme. Tony Montana's theme from Scarface from 1983. Also in the 80s and 90s, Moroder developed a nice line in doing the theme songs for sporting events, including songs for the 1984 and 88 Olympics and for the World Cup in 1990. Here's a very small amount of his uh, 1984 theme to the LA Olympics. Reach Out from 1984. I'm only playing a small bit of that because I think it's awful. 
Um, that was featuring the vocals of Paul Engerman, by the way. Uh, but what it does perhaps show is that Marauder's style has always adapted itself to the current popular style. He, he wasn't really into disco, but disco was the pop music of the time. And perhaps the same can be said of this next track, um, because it's from 1992, and it clearly reflects the Italian techno style that was popular at the time. And in a way, he kind of developed this techno style because his music was very influential to those producers in the 80s that developed it. Anyway, this features his old collaborator, Donna Summer, and it's called Carry On. Carry On, Giorgio Moroder, one of the missing Carry On films, that one, of course, from 1992. And that's nearly it for the pop chameleon Giorgio Moroder, as I've just thought of calling him, um, because he blends in with any pop style of the era, do you get it? Anyway, thanks for listening, and next time there is a uh, 70s roundup, and just sort of filling gaps of things that I couldn't quite fit anywhere else, like people like uh, Jean-Jacques Perry and John Carpenter, some of his film music, which is electronic, of course. And then after that, it's um, British 80s electropop. So that sort of feeds nicely into the final track I'm going to play, because in 1984, Giorgio collaborated with Phil Oakey of the Human League and produced a song for the film called Electric Dreams. And when the singles released, it was a massive hit. And this is... Together in Electric Dreams. Goodbye. (laughs) 